Well, good morning, everyone. Can I just add my uh, welcome to Susan's this morning? Um, if you've got a Bible, that would be really helpful for me. Uh, if you could have that open at Luke chapter 15, which is on page 1048, 1048, uh, Luke chapter 15. And we're going to be this morning looking at verses 11 to 32 of Luke chapter 15. That's page 1049. Uh, Luke 15 is is one of the better known parts of the Bible. Uh, there are lots and lots and lots of truths that are contained in Luke chapter 15, but the primary truth concerns the love of God. Uh, Jesus, the Son of God, had ever been with his Father for all eternity. And therefore, whenever he came into the world, he came to convey what he knew. Uh, he was conveying something to the world that the world was not familiar with, and that was the love of God. Uh, the story that we had read to us this morning by Jim, it's a story all about the love of God that welcomes and transforms sinners. You'll notice that it's also a family story. It's about a father uh, and two sons, verse 11. And as Jesus tells the story, it becomes obvious that the father in the story represents God. And the two sons represent the two groups of people who are listening to Jesus tell this story. Can we see as we look down at verses 1 and 2 of chapter 15 and look who it is that are listening? Luke writes, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering round to hear Jesus, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. So Jesus is telling the story to two groups of listeners and he wants them to identify with the two sons in the story. And as we uh, explore the story, we'll see that the, the tax collectors and the sinners, they're a bit like the younger son, whereas the religious leaders are a bit more like the older son. So we have one father, two sons representing two groups of listeners, and Jesus wants to teach us about the love of God that welcomes and transforms sinners. But before we get into the text, I think it would be good to pray. So let's pray and ask God to help us as we look at this passage. Uh, Heavenly Father, it's good to be here this morning, and Lord, we just praise you and thank you that your spirit continues to speak through the words of the Bible. Lord, your word is living and active. And so, Lord, we pray that as we look at this familiar parable, we ask that you would speak to us. We pray that you would speak to us as a church, and Lord, we ask that you would speak to us individually. Lord, bring by your Holy Spirit conviction of sin, but also show us Jesus so that we may love him more. It's in his name we ask it. Amen. Uh, if you're taking headings, uh, I've broken this parable into three movements or three sections. Uh, and the first one is dumping God in pursuit of an empty dream. Dumping God in pursuit of an empty dream. That's verses 11 through to 16. Let me ask you a question. What is it that you dream about? Uh, what do you daydream about uh, in, your, in your everyday life? Uh, I remember as a young boy at school daydreaming about lifting the school's cup. I imagine myself on the front page of the Belfast Telegraph, uh, glory coming towards me as I lifted uh, the trophy, uh, which was highly unlikely given that I played as reserve for the fourth 15. But whatever it is that we dream of, uh, whether it's lifting the trophy, uh, getting the girl, passing the exam, or landing the job, uh, we all dream of a better life. 
Uh, we dream of life with more excitement, with more success, more money. And the dreams that we have can be very, very powerful. Because what they do is they promise to satisfy us, and they promise to give us significance, and they promise to make us happy. In a word, our dreams promise us life. And the younger son in our story this morning, he is fed up with life on his father's farm. He dreams of bigger and better things. He dreams of the day when he can pack his bags and he can head to the city. Uh, he dreams about all the kind of fun that he's going to have, the parties, the women, the laughter. He dreams of life. But there is one slight problem to this dream that he has. There's an obstacle that's standing in his way, and that is his dad. Because while his dad is alive, he can't leave. While his dad is alive, this younger son has no money of his own. But once the old man dies, then he'll be rich. So all he has to do is wait and wait and wait. He is waiting for his dad to die. Now, let's be honest. Uh, this son has no real love for his father. Uh, that much is clear, isn't it? All that matters to him is this powerful dream. And as the days drag on, uh, his farm, his home, begins to feel more like a prison. And he thinks to himself, how long will I have to live this way? How long before I can be free? And he just feels trapped. Until one day, he snaps, and he can't take it anymore, and he makes his choice. He dumps his father in pursuit of his dream. Look at verse 12. It says, the younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. And so his father divided the property between them. The younger son dumps his dad in pursuit of a dream, and he treats him like he's disposable. And then he just walks away. You can imagine the scene as he's walking away from his house. He's got the, the money of his inheritance in his pocket. He's walking down the driveway, and he jumps and he leaps. He says, yes, finally I'm free. I am out of here. And here's the issue. I think it's a fascinating issue that this young boy, as he leaves home, he is convinced that independence and pleasure will lead to happiness. That's what he thinks. And you know, there are millions today who think just like that. Now remember that this is a parable. Uh, it's not just a random story. Uh, the father in the story represents God. And Jesus is saying that people treat God just like the younger son treats his father. It's the truth, isn't it? Uh, think about the story of the human race. The story of the human race is one of dumping God in order to pursue our empty dreams. Uh, right back at the start of history, we find the first man and woman doing exactly that. Uh, they were lovingly created by God. They were given a beautiful world to enjoy. Uh, they were designed to live under God's loving rule but they had their own dreams. And in Genesis chapter 3, we read of how they began to dream. They wanted to be like God. They were dreaming of wisdom. They were dreaming of freedom. They were dreaming of life without God in the picture. And it was a powerful dream, but there was one slight problem to their dream. There was an obstacle standing in their way, and that was God. And they faced a choice. Which way would they go? And what they did was they dumped God in pursuit of their empty dream. And, you know, sadly, that has been the story of the human race ever since. Ever since that first man and woman dumped God 
Uh, We have all followed along. Uh, All of us live downstream of Adam and Eve, and we have inherited that same spiritual condition. And as a result, all of us crave independence from our Creator, and self-love comes more naturally to us than love for God. Uh, A few weeks ago, I had the unfortunate experience of having to go shopping uh, with my wife. We ended up in home bargains, and as I was walking down uh, one of the aisles, there was a hoodie hanging up on the wall, and on the hoodie, it read, self-love club. That's all it said, self-love club, and I thought that is a really curious type of hoodie to sell. If you've if you own that hoodie, uh, good morning, you're very welcome, but uh, a bit of a strange uh, logo, a bit of a strange philosophy, because actually, according to the Bible, all of us by nature are born into the self-love club. Uh, we don't need to apply, we don't need to buy the hoodie, all of us by nature uh, belong in the self-love club. The truth is that all human beings have dumped God in pursuit of an empty dream, and it's what the Bible calls sin. Uh, Sin is what causes us to shake our fists at God. And a bit like the younger son in the story, say to him, I want your stuff, but actually I don't want you. I wish you were not around. I wish you were dead. Uh, Jesus is teaching us in this parable something foundational about how all people relate to God. And as we continue through the story, we read that the younger son wastes his inheritance, verse 13, in wild living. Look what it says. It says, not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. He wastes it all. Every coin he spends, he is showing his absolute rejection of his dad. All of the money that his dad had worked so hard to earn and to save, the younger son just wastes it. Uh, We aren't told exactly what he gets up to, but in his mind, he is living the dream until his dream begins to turn to desperation. And as his money disappears, so does his dream. A dream that had promised life turns out to be empty. And we're told, verse 14, that a famine hits the land. Look at verse 14. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of the country who sent him into fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. Uh, He has hit rock bottom. And this parable that Jesus tells, it provides a real warning to us, doesn't it, Uh, of the danger of chasing your dreams. Uh, It might sound good. Uh, It might feel right. It might promise a lot to you. But ultimately, chasing our dreams is an empty pursuit. And why is that the case? Well, it's the case because you were made to pursue God. You were made to pursue Him. You have been designed to desire Him. You have been wired to worship Him. That is the highest purpose in your life. And anything short of that will leave us all feeling empty. Augustine famously said, You have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. Perhaps this morning uh, you can relate to this young man in the story. Perhaps at some point in your life you turned away from God's plan for your life and you pursued an empty dream. Uh, Maybe it promised so much to you at the time, 
but it's only delivered emptiness. Jesus wants us to wake up, and a bit like the younger son, to come to our senses. And so that's the first section of this parable, the first movement. We dump God in pursuit of an empty dream. But then verses 17 to 24, our second section, uh, experiencing a welcome that transforms. That's what I've put as my heading if you're taking notes. It's experiencing a welcome that transforms. Uh, The younger son is in a mess, but then he makes the first wise move of the story in verse 17. Uh, It says, when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare, and yet here I am starving to death. Jesus says that the boy comes to his senses. In other words, he starts to face reality. Uh, And he begins to think about home. What is home? Uh, Home is not just a place. Home is a relationship. Uh, Home is a place where we feel accepted and where we know we belong. And he begins to dream about home, to long for home. And he reasons, verse 18, that maybe, just maybe, his father will allow him to work as a slave. Uh, He could earn some money. He could perhaps pay his father back. Uh, He knows he's not worthy ever to be called a son again. That is out of the question. But perhaps his his father will show him mercy and will give him work. And so he reasons and he begins to make his way home. You can imagine the son making his way home. Inside, he is filled with shame. As he walks along, he thinks about how brutal his last words to his father were. He'll never be able to forget that image and the pain in his father's eyes as he rejects him. And he's also scared. What's going to happen when he knocks on the door? Everything inside the sun feels like jelly, and he's overcome with shame. And so you can imagine him turning the corner, catching sight of the house in the distance. You can imagine his heart starting to beat faster, and his hands getting sweaty, and his mouth going dry. What kind of reception, what kind of welcome uh, awaits him? And nothing could have prepared him for what was about to happen. Look at verse 20. It says, But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. Jesus says that the sight of this young man in the distance causes something to happen inside the father. The father is filled with compassion. His heart explodes with love for his son. And we mustn't miss the shock of this story. Uh, it's, an, it's an extraordinary reaction uh, within the heart of the father after everything that he has been put through. Uh, the father doesn't know why the boy's returning. For all he knows, the son could be coming to ask for more money. Uh, we might expect the father to kind of think, well, you know what, I'll sit him down and I'll make sure that he's really sorry, that he really understands the, the gravity and extent of what he's done. But there is none of that in the father. Without a moment's hesitation, he is off. He hitches up his robe, he legs it towards the boy, and he doesn't even wait to hear what the boy has to say for himself. And he doesn't care what the neighbors think about it all. The son, meanwhile, he's bracing himself. He's awaiting the full force of his father's anger. But instead, he is swamped by love. The exact words that Jesus uses in verse 20 uh, describe what the father does are so moving. He says, he ran to his son, He threw his arms around him, and he kissed him. It's the last thing that this son was expecting. 
It was the last thing that he deserved. But that hug must have felt amazing. You can imagine the younger son in tears, and he's fumbling around, trying to get out his speech and read it to his father, and he can't finish it. It's almost a comedy moment. His dad is hugging him and kissing him. The boy can't get a word in edgeways. And the point of the parable is this, such is the love of God towards sinners like you and me. Do you recall who it is that's in the crowd as Jesus is telling the story? Remember verse 1 and 2, it's the sinners and the tax collectors. Those are the people all around Jesus, the moral failures, the people who have made bad choices in life and who have messed up. And Jesus is looking at them and he is saying, in the same way, I welcome you. Because when Jesus sees broken sinners, his heart, like the Father, is filled with compassion. There's an interesting detail in this parable that sometimes uh, can get overlooked whenever we teach it, maybe to children at Sunday school or whatever. Uh, remember that the son previously had been in a pigsty and he had been penniless. Uh, he had been covered in stinking pig filth. But worse than that, he would have been considered ritually unclean in his day because of the association with pigs. And yet here we see the father throws his arms around his filthy son, and the result is obvious, isn't it? The father now becomes filthy. In order to welcome his son, uh, the father has to become unclean. Uh, the filth of the son, verse 22, is then covered with a fine robe. Uh, he's given the family ring, which is a mark of being a son. And it's this beautiful picture of transformation. The Bible says that our sin makes us filthy in God's eyes. But the Bible also says that Jesus came into this world to throw his arms round filthy people. Uh, he willingly takes on himself the filth and the dirt of human sin. He becomes sin. He becomes unclean, just like the Father in this story. And it all becomes clear when you look at the cross where Jesus died. Because on the cross, Jesus, the pure, spotless Son of God, was punished for our filthy sin. Uh, the arms of Jesus that were stretched out on a cross as he bore the punishment that our sin deserves are the same arms that now embrace us. It's a beautiful picture. And so can I ask you this morning, have you received this wonderful welcome that Jesus offers? It's so easy to do. You simply admit the ways that you've dumped him and pursued your own dreams. You ask him to take away your filthy sin. You ask him to transform you into one of his children. And he will do it because as Jesus critics put it, this man welcomes sinners. If it is this morning, though, that you've already come to Jesus, then can I encourage you to savor the truth that you are now clean. You have, like the sun, been clothed in the best robe, a robe of righteousness. And you are wearing the family ring. Do you know, when a person sees just what Jesus has done for them in the gospel, when a person truly understands the love of God and the sacrificial cost of it, what it does is it transforms them. I heard a lovely story, a true story, of a friend who taught in a school 
And in this school, she taught a primary school class, and there was one child who was very closed off. The child would not interact with uh, other classmates, and the child would not interact with her. And she pulled her hair out trying to work out, how can I help this child just open up and just take part in life? She met with the parents of the child, and they come up with different strategies about how to help this child, but nothing that they did would work. Uh, One day, the child was sitting in uh, her usual spot at the back of the class beside the window, not engaging with anyone, not taking part, and a little wasp came in through the window, and the child just went into meltdown. The child was so overcome with fear. Uh, The teacher, not really thinking about it, stepped in and tried to uh, get the wasp out the window, and in the process was stung by the wasp. Uh, She thought nothing of it, went back to teaching the lesson and came in the next day. The next day she came in, the little child came up to her and she just threw her arms around her and gave her the biggest hug in the world. The teacher went home that night and just sort of thought, what on earth has caused that transformation? What on earth has caused that child to just open up and and show such affection? And the parents sitting at dinner uh, were, were talking to the child and they asked the child, what was it? that made the difference. Why do you suddenly like your teacher now? And the little girl said, because she took the sting for me. She took the sting for me. Uh, Whenever we see the sacrificial love of Christ displayed most fully and perfectly on the cross, what it does is it transforms us. It opens us up because we begin to love him as a result. Uh, Verses 23 and 24, we read that the party begins the celebrations have begun, and it feels like a really fitting place, doesn't it, to end the story? What a lovely parable. And yet, interestingly, that's not where the story ends, because there's one more section and something very important that Jesus wants to teach us. If you're taking headings, the last heading is this, two kinds of spiritual lostness. That's verses 25 to 32, two kinds of spiritual lostness. Uh, So far this morning, we've focused all of our attention, haven't we, on the younger son in the story and his dad, but there is another member of the family, and that is the older son, and he comes back into the story right at the very end. Uh, He is not happy about the fact that his younger son has been welcomed back and that this party has been thrown in his honor. A little boy was asked in Sunday school the question, who was unhappy to see the younger son return home? His hand shot up and he said, the fattened calf. (laughs) Which might be true, uh, but that's not what we're told. What we're told is that it was the older son who is unhappy. And can you see that he is the absolute opposite of his little waste of space brother? Because he is dutiful, he is loyal, and he is hardworking. And yet, despite all the outward appearances, there is a serious problem with this older son. And it's a dangerous and a deadly problem. It's a problem that lies deep buried within his heart, and that's what makes it so deadly. Uh, The younger son's problems, they were very obvious for everyone to see, but not so with the older son. His problem is hidden away from public view until the day that his younger brother comes home And then it all comes pouring out, and it is very ugly. Uh, While the father in the story is filled with compassion, Big Brother is filled with anger. And so intense is his anger that he is willing to stay outside the party 
He would rather miss out on the best party with the finest food than to share the same breathing space as this younger brother. The question is, what on earth is going on in his heart? We thought he was the good guy. We thought he was the one that you could rely on. So what is his problem? Well, he tells us himself, verse 29, and what he says to his father. Have a look at verse 29. He answered his father, look, all these years I have been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. You never gave me even a young goat so that I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. In that one short outburst, we see all too clearly what is happening in this man's heart. It's all about him. It's never been about his father. He sees himself as a slave obeying orders rather than a son trying to please a father. His work, his service, his loyalty was driven by a love for himself rather than a love for his dad. There's no doubt that he worked very hard, but he was doing it for all the wrong reasons. He was working so that he could feel good about himself and so that he could look good in front of others. And the Bible has a name for this attitude. It's called self-righteousness. Self-righteousness means living your life saying, well done me, well done me. And that's why the older son gets so angry, because that is what's bubbling around in his heart. Uh, The late Tim Keller uh, writes this. I think it's really spot on. He says, it is not his sins that create the barrier between the older son and his father. It's the pride he has in his moral record. It's not his wrongdoing, but his righteousness that is keeping from sharing in the feast of his father. Do you see, Jesus is teaching us that there are two types of spiritual lostness, because both sons are lost. One is cut off from the father because of his badness, but the other is cut off from his father because of his goodness. You can almost hear the gasps among uh, the people that Jesus is teaching, among the religious leaders, because this is a complete reversal of everything they've ever been taught and of everything they've ever believed. Jesus is saying that we can be as cut off from God through our morality and our religion as you can be cut off from God through our immorality and our irreligion. And you see, the attitude in the older brother in the story is the exact same attitude that characterized the religious leaders and the attitude they had towards the sinners of their day. Whereas God rejoices over lost people are found, the religious leaders, they are angry. They don't like them. So let me ask you this morning, do you love what Jesus loves? Do you love who Jesus loves? Because Jesus loves sinners. Jesus welcomes sinners and transforms sinners. So do you feel the same way or do you secretly harbor a self-righteous sense of superiority over other people? As we finish uh, this morning, Jesus has been teaching us about the love of God that welcomes and transforms sinners. Uh, Whoever you are this morning, whether outwardly respectable or a notorious sinner, Jesus is pleading with you to come and to experience his wonderful welcome for yourself. It is a welcome that will leave you transformed because in the gospel, we have been loved beyond our wildest dreams. So can I encourage you this morning, do not settle for an empty dream, but instead come to Jesus and find life. Let's pray 
as we finish.